truth that we can't figure out for ourselves. It needs to be revealed to us. Exegesis is good. It's what you want your pastors to do, what you want your Bible study leaders to do. It's what the Sunday school teachers are doing for the kids this morning. And hopefully it's what you do when you read your Bible in the morning or the afternoon or whenever is your, your, your time of the day to spend time in God's Word. However, it is human nature to do the opposite, which we call eisegesis, to put knowledge into the Bible. And the way that works is we look at our lives and an anecdote or a story from our life or an experience from our life, and we read a Bible story and we connect with the story because we immediately go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's what I do. And the Bible ends up telling you what you already know. But it's not the Bible telling you that. It's you reading into the Bible your own thoughts and your own ideas. And there's no power to change there. If the Bible's telling you what you already believe about the world and about yourself, and then you say, you know, I've tried reading my Bible, I go to church, it's just not working for me. It's probably because you're not doing exegesis. If the Bible's really from God, and it is, we should expect that it's going to tell us things that are counterintuitive, that don't make sense to us. And so when you read a passage, be searching not for some deeper truth, depth for the sake of depth, but realize that when you get past the surface, there's probably something very profound that is going to require you to examine your life and make changes, or as that video said, repent. Metanoeo in the Greek, change of mind. It's going to force you to change your mind and give you a new perspective about things. This isn't a story about a busy woman and a not busy woman. And we need to be told that because it would be tempting to immediately say, Oh, I know this woman. Maybe you're a husband who's upset that your wife is busy about many, 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 many things. Or maybe you're that guy who's busy. It doesn't just have to be women. Men can get very busy, too, distracted with things that aren't necessarily the most important thing. What we want to look at this morning, though, is the heart. The heart. This story is going to contrast two sisters, but not just two sisters and two personality types, two hearts. What is going on at the heart? We talk about the heart all the time at this church because the gospel and discipleship has to get down to the heart level. That's where change really happens. So let's Read the story together and look at it with fresh perspective. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? 
Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. Two sisters, two hearts, two sets of plans that day. It was Martha who invited Jesus over, not Mary. The passage clearly states Martha welcomed him into her home. Martha probably loved to entertain. She probably loved the preparing, the planning, the cleaning, the decorating, the serving. It affirms her, makes her feel important. She thrives on it, even though it stresses her out simultaneously. We get this. We, we know this person. I know a lot of these people, and they're some of my favorite people in the world. This is not a sin to be hospitable. In fact, it's a gift. It's a spiritual gift, hospitality. It's not only a gift, but it's, for some, it's commanded in the one another's that we be hospitable to one another. So it may not be your gifting, but to some extent we're all required by God to be hospitable, to look out for the needs of others, to meet the needs of others, make them feel comfortable and welcomed and loved. You may not be an extrovert, but even introverts can step out of their comfort zone and be hospitable. But Martha seems like the kind of woman who loves to throw a party. And remember, in this culture, inviting somebody over is huge. If you went to the missionary night with our missionaries to the Middle East. They told us how in Middle Eastern culture, having people over is an event. It's a big deal, and you have to get it right. You have to get it right. This is an honor-shame culture. Your, your honor was everything, and entertaining correctly was a big deal. I gather that this woman... Her entire identity and self-worth was wrapped up in her entertaining. Not so much so for her sister. Not so much so for Mary. You can have two of these people in your family. You may be more like Martha and married someone more like Mary. One busy, one not so busy. Opposites attract and then opposites attack. Mary was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Let's be clear about something here. This is not a story about a busy woman and a woman who was not busy. They were both busy. They were both busy. There's nothing wrong with what either woman was doing depending on their heart motivation. You can serve Jesus like Martha with the wrong heart. 
And you can think you're sitting at the feet of Jesus when really you're just getting out of helping with the work. And so I don't expect anyone after this sermon to quit their ministry, stop cleaning house. What I am expecting is that we look at our heart motivation as to why we do the things we do. What importance are we attaching to our choices and the things that keep us busy? You also need to understand culturally that what Mary was doing was actually unheard of. Women in this culture were not invited to sit at the feet of a rabbi. She was the 13th apostle here. Sitting at the feet of a teacher is euphemistic. It's, it's a Hebrew idiom for becoming the disciple of a rabbi. Culturally, she should have been in the other room making the preparations. It was culturally shameful and scandalous to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's where the men would sit and learn. It's that way even today, as Austin was sharing with us, that you have a whole room in your house in the Middle East that is just for welcoming people in. You had to have that room. And then when the people came over, the, the men congregated in that room. And the women made preparations in another room. It's that way in many cultures today. In fact, not too long ago, that's the way our culture was. There was the den where the men went. And the kitchens were off, separated from where you entertained. It didn't always be that everyone had to have an open concept. Right? You watch those home shows now. And everybody has to have an open concept living room. I want the kitchen right in the living room so we can all... And that's a wonderful thing to invite everybody into the mix. But there was a day and age where the kitchen was separate from where you entertained. And often there was a door. The house I grew up in had that little pocket door. And the women did their thing in the kitchen and the men did their thing out here. So for Mary... To be sitting at the feet of Jesus was shameful. And Martha can't believe Jesus is letting this happen. And he's not doing anything about it. And so Martha, distracted with all her preparations. Now I know she doesn't know at this point that this is God incarnate. But could you imagine... God's in the other room. And she's going to miss it. Because there's something more important than God. What could be more important than being with God and hearing from God? Well, let's look at her heart. She came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? She's questioning whether or not God 
cares about what's really important. And she knows what's really important. We all know what's really important. It's the thing that I decide is really important. And it's usually the thing I'm really good at. It's not that Martha wants to clean. She has to clean. And she's good at it. And it's a gift from God. But touched by sin, it becomes a perverted gift from God. It becomes the standard by which she has decided she's a good person. Where's my affirmation, Lord? She should have to do these things as well if she's going to be a good person. Last week, we looked at the heart of a legalistic scribe. This week, we're looking at the heart of a legalistic woman. We all do this. We take a virtue that we're good at, that comes natural for us, and we elevate it to the standard of goodness by which we judge whether or not we're worthy of God's love and acceptance. Martha's self-worth and acceptance by God is wrapped up in her works. She's a legalist, just like the lawyer, albeit a different flavor. Legalist nonetheless. And the ugliness of the human heart on display here is that she's openly insulting her male guest. In that culture, that would be scandalous. Not only is it a male, but it's a prominent teacher. She's openly judging and rebuking and correcting. But we know this is more than just a prominent male guest. This is God. Thank you, Martha, when we meet her in heaven for showing us the ugliness of our own hearts that question God's goodness, question His plans, question His timing, and have the audacity to tell God how to be God. Then tell her to help me. She just ordered Jesus She just commanded him. If you're really God and you really knew what was going on and you really cared about me, you would do this. And we've all been there. We've all been there. Maybe we didn't say the words out loud, but we've thought them in our heart. Why isn't God doing something about this? We think if we could run the world... It would run smoothly. And we get upset with God and with other people when they're not kowtowing to our preferences. And a party that should be a wonderful celebration can turn ugly. And we've all been there too. Somebody uptight and upset that I have to do everything around here. 
Instead of enjoying the people around you, all you see is, I can't relax until they all leave and this mess is cleaned up. And so you're not in the moment. Why would a heart presume to judge God and tell him how to be God? I have some bullet points for you here. This is the order things go in. And the Bible reveals this to us, especially in James chapter 4, but in other places. We have these desires and plans. And they could be good desires, but they're tainted by sin. And we elevate our desires and plans to the level of this is how things should be. This is the way things should be. This is what's going to make me happy and will make you happy. Because whatever makes me happy should make everyone else happy. And we have these unspoken expectations. I doubt Martha told Mary what her expectations were that day. Mary should just know the proper way to entertain. I have to remind myself of this because I like a clean environment. And I often find myself saying, how could somebody walk past this and not be bothered? You must have noticed it and you must have known it needed to be cleaned or put back and you must have ignored it on purpose. And why would you deprive me of something you know is important to me? And we get angry. James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your desires that wage war in your members, in your flesh? You want and cannot have, so you commit murder. You, you, hate, you hate your brother in your heart. You don't ask, so you don't receive. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives to spend it on yourself. My desires turn into needs and my needs turn into demands. And they're reasonable demands. This is what good people do. This is how good people think. In Martha's case, this is how good people serve. And so I get angry and I get hurt and I get disappointed with people. And God, when they don't meet my demands, I mean my needs... I mean, my reasonable expectations. But in our heart of hearts, they've come to the demand level and we're sovereign. We're God. We're king. These aren't just heart problems women deal with. We heard from Matt Sheridan this morning. These characters in the Bible, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, have been given to us as an example because there's no temptation that has overcome you that is not common to man. Peter had his agenda and Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God thinks. James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy a Samaritan village. They thought they knew the heart of God. We've all been there. Nobody cares. They're doing it wrong. I'm not appreciated. Nobody's helping me. 
I have to do everything around here. Or as was revealed in a secret camera by the CNN executive, Americans are stupid. That's just the human heart on display. We all have been there. Everybody but me is stupid. Everybody but me isn't helping, isn't doing the right things. And Martha is actually trying to manipulate God in human flesh as a tool to get her way. To fulfill her sense of justice. There is a great injustice going on right now. My sister will not lift a finger to help me serve. Tell her to help me. Sometimes we'll get folks into the pastor's office and literally they say, you need to tell my spouse. You need to tell my sibling. I don't have that kind of authority. (laughs) I ain't going there. You're not going to use the office of pastor to get what you think you deserve. And sometimes the thing they're asking for is biblical. But they're asking in the wrong way. Again, it's the heart that matters. So, I love the way Jesus responds because I'd be tempted to respond harshly. Woman! (laughs) But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I wonder if it was like a, Martha, Martha. That would be if he knew her well and this was her ongoing behavior. I don't know how well they knew each other at this point. You know, like a, oh, honey. That's the way I kind of talk to my kids. Yeah, oh, you're doing it again. I think maybe this Martha, Martha, is the one you have to give people to snap them out of their false reality. Because you get to that place where you are saying things that are just downright ugly. She's rebuking Jesus in a, in a crowd. Don't you care? And my sister's not helping me. Tell her what to do. Martha. 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 Hey. Chill. <laughs> you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. There will be plenty of dishes tomorrow. But I'm only going to be here for a little while. Learning from Jesus is what's necessary. And it's the thing that can't be taken away from us. What we learn from Jesus, we get to keep for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? It's never a waste of time to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's never a waste of time to spend time in the Word of God. It's never a waste of time 
to spend time in prayer. It's never a waste of time to disciple somebody else. It's never a waste of time to teach Sunday school. You're taking children and bringing them to the feet of Jesus and teaching them this is the most important thing. Everything else can wait. Now, if you're ignoring your obligations because I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, shame on you. See, it's the heart that matters. Two people could be doing exactly the same task and one could be in sin. I could be in sin reading God's word if you're using it to get out of your other responsibilities, which is a huge temptation for pastors. If I just sit in my chair like this all day, everybody's happy. Oh, he's he's studying the word. He's reading the word of God. I have phone calls to make. I have people to check in on. I... I'm supposed to shepherd the flock. And so I can read all day long and look like I'm doing important things. Just like you can fill your day with all kinds of tasks that look important. But where's your heart? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? The difference between Mary and Martha teaches us about the heart. This is not a story about a busy woman versus a lazy woman. This is a story about a heart that thinks God doesn't know what is really important versus a heart that wants to learn from God what is truly important. We got a prideful heart versus a humble heart, a teachable heart. You have a heart, Mary's heart, she has placed her faith and trust in Jesus, and there's no other place she wants to be. He has the answers to all my questions, all my fears, all my questions, all my doubts. Learning from Jesus stays with us for all eternity. Many of the other things we think are important are not the good portion Jesus talked about. To focus on because our hearts have wrong expectations or wrong motives tied to those things. There was nothing wrong with Martha serving. Let's be clear about that. Ladies, if you're busy, this isn't a sermon that's going to tell you, you need to stop being busy. Oh, come on. We've heard that sermon and then you go home and there's things to do. They have to get done. God put us on this earth to work. I hate when people preach this passage and make women feel guilty for being busy and bypass the heart. The question is, why are you busy and what are you trying to accomplish with your busyness? If you're trying to impress God, repent. If you're trying to impress other people, repent. If you're upset because other people aren't like you, repent. If you think everybody should be like you, repent. But if you like to serve because it brings you joy and you like to see how it makes other people comfortable and feel loved, keep doing it. Or find a place to get there and then keep doing it. Same goes for the men.
Mary's a worshiper of Jesus. Martha's got idols in her heart that need to be dealt with. Well, I'm sure Mary's got idols too. But she's sitting in exactly the place you need to sit to find out what those idols are and how to get rid of them. So what happens to Martha? Is there hope for Martha? Is there hope for the chronically busy? We hear more about Mary and Martha in the Gospel of John. In a passage that we're used to hearing at funerals, at memorial services, because it's when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. And there's more teaching about Martha's heart buried in this passage. Let me show you. John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Lots of Marys, the most common female name in the ancient Near East. So John is just saying, it's the Mary that anoints Jesus' head with the expensive perfume, which happens after Lazarus is raised from the dead. John's just saying, it's that Mary. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha. Look at that, how God in his divine inspiration has John single out that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why, why single out Martha? Because Martha doubts God. She's got a faith issue. Don't you care about me? So Jesus does something curious. I think it's one of the most curious lines in all the Bible. Nathan and I have talked many times about this and Craig. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. How is that love? You and I would expect someone to come immediately, especially somebody who has the power to heal. In fact, this is so curious that some of your Bible translations can't handle it and change the so to yet. Because it doesn't seem to make sense. But the, the word in the Greek just really doesn't allow for the word yet. So, therefore, Jesus stayed two days longer. And so Lazarus is going to die, and Martha's going to mourn over the loss of her brother, and she's going to be tempted to doubt that God cares. Don't you care? My brother's dead. Am I reading into this? No, let's... Look at the next line. 
When we get down to verse 20, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but, but Mary stayed at the house. I, I take it that Mary has the peace that passes all understanding. She sat at the feet of Jesus. She trusts him. But Martha runs out to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's still rebuking Jesus. Albeit in the throes of deep mourning and pain and sorrow. As a side note, folks, when when you disciple others and you choose to walk alongside others and you weep with those who weep, you need to extend mercy as to what comes out of somebody's mouth when they're grieving. They may even take it out on you. Why didn't you come to the hospital sooner? Why didn't you call? As if that would change the circumstance. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's questioning his sovereignty. At the same time, recognizing he has the power to heal. So if you have the power to heal and you love Lazarus and you love me, then why did you wait? Why didn't you come? But then she says this, very curious. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's trying to tell him what to do again. Except instead of coming right out and telling him what to do, she's like, you know, but if you ask God right now, he'll listen to you. She hasn't, yet no one has figured out that Jesus is God incarnate. She believes that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But she doesn't understand who he really is. And therefore, we see this behavior, this lack of trust. You could put in a good word for me with God. Martha, he is God. You're in the presence of the divine. Relax. It's going to be okay. And so Jesus gently rebukes her again. But look, look how he rebukes. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I haven't forgotten about him. Your brother will rise again. And, and Martha says what we would all say and we, we've, we have said at funerals. Yeah, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But what's implied here? I want him back now. I want him now. You know, oh, he's in a better place and you're going to be reunited someday. And that's the right thing to say, but it's not what anyone wants to hear in the moment. And Jesus says something most curious to her. Instead of Martha, Martha, he snaps her out of her Pain and suffering induced stupor and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Using the name of God, ego a me, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's what matters. 
Whatever else she's thinking about, only one thing matters. Do you trust Jesus? Because if you, beloved, can learn to trust Jesus for your eternal life, you can trust him for everything else. It's not, I have to get everything else in place and then I can trust Jesus for eternal life. No, there's one thing that matters and it won't be taken away from you. Forget about Lazarus for a second. What about you, Martha? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Of course he cares. And if he would not spare his own son to secure your place in heaven, then do you really think he'd withhold anything else to meet your temporal needs. So this is really a message about trust. A heart that is learning to trust God for everything. Martha's heart is like all of ours. She wants to be sovereign. She wants to be in control. She wants to manipulate her circumstances. She knows what's best. Her self-worth And her affirmation and her acceptance by God is wrapped up in her performance. She's a legalist. And when things aren't going according to plan, her whole world falls apart. How wonderful for her. How wonderful when our kingdom falls apart. Only then are we ready to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's a painful place to be, is it not? I'd say it's in the top three counseling issues we deal with, discipleship issues. Sovereignty of God. Trusting God. Truly trusting in God's timing and His plan and His ways. And so Martha does reset her mind on the truth. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And I love the verb tense, I have believed. That's a lot of people in this room. I have believed. I was seven at VBS. But do you believe now? Do you believe now that God cares now? That he's in control now? Oh, yeah, I've believed. I'm going to heaven. I got that in my back pocket. But I don't see how that's going to help me today. Do you believe now? Are you believing now? Are you trusting now? It's daily repentance. I got to get off the throne of my heart. And Jesus needs to sit in his rightful place. I need to trust. And if you have a problem with trust... Your God loves you and will put you in situations where you have to trust. And they're painful situations, but it's the only way we grow and exercise that trust muscle. God's putting a couple more plates on.
build up the trust muscle. And so he sends Mary away, or Martha away to go get Mary, and no indication that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Martha goes and gets Mary and says, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And they get to the tomb, and I love this. Jesus said, because we, it's not like you, you deal with this problem and then it goes away. Learning to trust God is like a lifetime endeavor. So Martha's heart's reset, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, right? He says, roll away the stone, and look what Martha says. Lord, um, by this time, there will be a stench. He's been dead four days. She's worried again about being embarrassed publicly by the mess. My brother stinketh, as the King James says. Oh, Martha, Martha. (laughs) Only a Martha would be thinking that that's what everybody there at the tomb would be worried about. The stench comes forward and they would all turn to Martha as if somehow it's her fault. Martha! You didn't put enough spices in the tomb. You know this person. There's probably one in your family. It might even be you. Really think that's what everyone would be worried about? You're a little self-absorbed there. Here's this great teacher, this rabbi, this miracle worker, this prophet, rolling away the stone, and everyone's expecting some amazing miracle. And there's Martha worried that the stench. (laughs) God love her. I need... I need Martha's example here. So what ends up happening to Martha? Well, it says, uh, Therefore, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. How would you like that to be your new title? There's Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And so they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving and there's no problems, no rebuking. It's not that she stopped serving. She learned to serve with the right heart. She's doing what she's created to do. I bet she's an awesome hostess. And she's serving. And Lazarus is reclining at the table. No complaints. Where's Mary? She's breaking a $300 perfume over Jesus' head. And Martha's fine with this even though there's going to be a mess. But there's somebody who's not fine with it. Judas. Talk about heart issues. We could have used that perfume and sold it for 300 denarii and given it to the poor, but the Bible reveals that he really doesn't care about the poor. But He was a thief and he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was put into it. And Jesus rebukes Judas and says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. This is an act of worship. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is an absolutely shocking line, especially right on the heels of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Wait a minute. This scribe was rebuked for not helping the poor. 
And then Jesus says, ah, you'll always have the poor with you. Right? Neither passage is supposed to be a passage that teaches about how to take care of the poor. There's other passages in the Bible that teach about the poor. You have to look at the context. It's about the heart. The scribe didn't truly love God and others like he claimed to. And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to reveal the ugliness of the legalist's heart. Well, who do I have to love? Certainly not the unrighteous. Well, you're unrighteous and God loves you. I'm not unrighteous. God has to love me. I'm righteous. I do everything right. Same heart we see in Martha. I'm the one doing all the serving. How could God be happy with Mary? She's doing nothing. The Good Samaritan had a heart that loved God as demonstrated by his acts of mercy. And Mary had a heart that loved God as demonstrated by her acts of worship. Her her humility. The Good Samaritan was humble. He knew he needed mercy so he could give mercy. Mary knew she needed to learn from Jesus. Martha was like, what do I have to learn from Jesus? Uh, I'm the one who does everything. So this is a sermon about repenting of legalism. And so we need to ask the Lord this week, Lord, show me where my heart has elevated gifts you've given me, preferences you've given me, virtues you've given me, and elevated them to the standard of godliness by which I judge myself and all other people. Where, where is my pride? Where do I pride myself? Where do I get angry when other people aren't doing the things I do? Where do I feel better about myself because I do these things well and other people don't? Where do you tend to judge Others, we need to root legalism out of our heart and sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary with a proper heart attitude, a heart that wants to learn. This is our church mission statement. We are all about Jesus, A-L-L. We adore Jesus like Mary. How? By learning from Jesus. Learning what? To love like Jesus, A-L-L. We adore Jesus by learning from Jesus so we can love like Jesus. That's called becoming a disciple of Christ so that we can go out and make more disciples of Christ. Father, thank you for the example of Mary and Martha. Show us where we're like Martha but need to be like Mary. Thank you, Jesus, that... You did all the work on the cross so we don't have to earn God's love. Give us a heart for sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, becoming like him. Telling other people about him so they can become like him. And do this all for your glory, God. And may we be convinced that You love us, and this plan will bring us great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.